So we're here today with uh, Council Leader Adam McVeigh and Deputy Council Leader Cammy Day. And August, we're almost at the end of the fringe. So my question to you today to start off our mini podcast is, are tourists really still welcome, Councillor McVeigh? They are. I mean, the city's absolutely bustling. It's alive. It's it's as Edinburgh should be during August. There's a chaotic vibrancy that is um, on every street and with street performers and the number of people who are coming here to not only actually watch shows but perform. People forget the thousands of people who come here every single year to put on their shows. Um, just a couple of weeks ago I was meeting the Adelaide Fringe who have brought a number of performers over. There's a huge number of people now using our Fringe and uh, our festival as almost talent scouting. So we're not only importing the cultures of other places around the world, which I think is a fantastic thing for us all to experience, but we're starting to export our culture and our cultural offering as well. I, I actually spoke with Heather Kroll, who's the director of Adelaide Fringe, and she said that the way that they're going to increase their ticket numbers is by bringing tourists to Adelaide. And we almost seem to have the opposite problem here. We almost, our, our population doubles, we all know that. It's been known for years. What can we do then about making it perhaps a little more pleasant for people who live here all the time? Sure, I mean, no one's gonna say that there's not challenges with having so many people come to a, an already growing city. Um, Cam and I are now working with officers on a whole range of issues and a whole range of projects to try and make the management of our city better. Um, just in the last week, maybe over a week, the issue of the, the sightline barriers on Princess Street became You seem to kind of lead one. on that, actually. Well, I didn't uh, notice them until it was pointed out to me, if I'm uh, honest, and I thought they looked absolutely horrendous. Um, for Princess Street, our absolutely premier shopping street, uh, to block out the view of Edinburgh's historic skyline and our castle is was just unacceptable to me. Now, we need to find better ways of creating the same effect, dealing with the public safety concerns, making sure the people management of so many people trying to get around are are addressed adequately, but without, quite frankly, aesthetically horrendous uh, barriers and Harris fencing and other things. We should really explain that these the were city. black painted boards which suddenly appeared at the entranceways to um, Princess Street Gardens on uh, Princess yeah. Street to stop people seeing the concerts for free, effectively. So you've got two, two interests to balance there. So I don't care whether anyone sees Ploma Faith for free. Um, good luck to them. What I do care about is a band like Kasabian, and it's not out of the realms of possibility that thousands of people might show up for a glimpse of their concert. Now, thousands of people congregating on the southern side of the pavement on Princess Street, right next to a road that was open, was a major public uh, safety concern. So that's the concern we were trying to address. Whether someone goes and hears Paloma, sees Paloma, or sees Kazabian, is none of my concern. But if you'd paid 50 quid a ticket, perhaps you might have been more concerned. Well, uh, you'd be in a much more comfortable seat than the people standing uh, huddled on Princess Street. Another thing to say is, if that number of people did uh, show up, it's not just even about the fact that the road would be open behind them, it's about the barrier and the fence in front of them being just not built to manage that number of people as a, a crowd control measure. But you actually got that fixed. I mean, it was quite easy for you to, I think, to sit down with your city officers and get that fixed and they make were, some plans. Absolutely. They were down within a couple of hours, mm. um, more or less, and they stayed down uh, apart from when there was a, an actual concert going on. 
I still think we need to find a better solution if we're going to, the city's obviously having a debate right now about what they use that bandstand for. Personally, I don't think there's any point in having a bandstand, especially one that we're looking to take forward with ambitious new proposals without looking at really fantastic concerts that are going to be a part of that. But we need to find a better way of managing that process. And taking it back then from the fringe which surrounds us at the moment um, to we're here really at the start of a new council year because you have a month off in July. You know, what are your what are your plans then for the next six months, Cami? What are you going to be concentrating on? I mean, there's, I suppose there's a whole range of things that the coalition wants to take forward. Be that the decision, hopefully in November, to take the tram into New Haven. Um, but so what will I be concentrating on uh, myself will be a, the trams and the work around the tourist levy and making sure that, that that's a key issue for the city. And that, need, that needs some Scottish Government approval though, do you think you're taking the Scottish Government with you? I think we're taking all the partners with us, you know Adam and I have been having a number of discussions with the, the industry and the communities around tourism to say this is what we're proposing, what do you think about it? We, we've consulted a huge number of people in the industry about what they think and we're taking their views on board with that. We're now working with them to see when that comes in, how will they help us to implement that, that uh, mm -hmm. tourist levy. So that, that tourist levy would be something like a pound a night on a, on a bedroom, uh, whether it's Airbnb or it's a hotel room, and y you think or you've calculated that it could be about 29 million, but I think you're going to do some more studies, is that right? Yes, yeah, so we are working with um, Mark and Edinburgh just now to do a, a wider consultation and research on that. We've got a number of research papers from across the country and beyond about how it impacts and that's one option is it whether it's going to be a pound a percentage on every hotel um, all year round that's all part of this consultation which we're joining about and Adam and I are making sure that it's our top priority to get that out to the wider public to hear what the public think about that which I'm pretty sure will be a resounding yes to get it in to help uh, resource the city. And there's also I think something in your programme going forward about um, short-term lets and you know how they impact on people who live in the city if you have a um, we better not call it a party flat, had we? They're supposed to be outlawed, aren't they? But uh, short-term lets in uh, in flats in a stair can impact quite a lot on people who live there. So, what do you propose doing about that? What can you do? So, I mean, the council's got some powers that we'll use. We set up a short-term working group, which is just reported back, and it's fed into the Scottish government. So, uh, the powers we've got about respond to social behaviour, about uh, waste management, etc. We'll deal with that within the council. I'm working closely with the Scottish Government to look at potential further legislation that might help us legislate um, as we do with other landlords. And what would you do? Would you limit the amount of time that a landlord could let a property out? Or? I mean, that's, that's one option, you know, things like Airbnb offering up potential a limited number of days per year, whether we'd accept that or not, so we're part of that, part of that discussion. But I suppose it's, it's to be proactive and say we are accepting that the short term lets in the city is taking up properties which we would rather have as, as houses but, but also on the other hand accepting that they're part of what makes the festivals and other offerings during the year happen successfully. And I suppose you know, looking at houses for people here within the city, I know you've got a programme, you've all, you're always telling me Adam, and I have <laughs> this figure in my head, 20,000 houses, affordable homes in the next Ten years. In the next ten years, yeah. yeah. And uh, how far are we along then? <clears throat> a few thousand, which is good. Um, we're also having quite detailed discussions now with other partners about taking that uh, forward. What the some people are looking at the the delivery figures and 
uh, saying, oh, but you're not on target. When you look at the more than 2,000 that are currently on site being delivered right now in the city, the 1,500, I think, that have been delivered, delivered in our first uh, year. And the deals that we're doing um, with other key partners like the land at the uh, at the at the docks in Western Harbour in the north of the city, I think we're going to end up uh, not only hopefully hitting that target, but um, with help from the private sector and the affordable units that they'll be delivering across the city in private sites, I hope we'd manage to exceed it. So then we have everybody in a house of their own, do we? Well, it goes some way to addressing yeah. the challenge. I mean, the pressures on Edinburgh's housing uh, market are just enormous. I can't overestimate how difficult the problem is and we are trying to match that problem with a scale of ambition to to make sure that Edinburgh's housing market remains stable, that people can have access to private rented accommodation, to uh, purchasing, getting on the housing ladder um, and that people don't find themselves in a, a position of not being able to find somewhere and ending up needing temporary accommodation. Yes. And that then leads us quite neatly on to um, the um, poverty Commission, which uh, the City Poverty Commission, which you um, seem to be seem to have set up, um, but it needs a figurehead. Are we anywhere near getting a figurehead? Um, so, officers and myself have been looking at key people across Scotland and, and the UK actually to see who we best. We're talking to Carnegie Trust, we're talking to uh, a whole number of key individuals who are both professionals, academics, um, and having that discussion about who might be best to chair it along with me and potentially 10 other commissioners. But I suppose what's maybe more important about it is that we make sure that we listen to the, the real the experience of people who experience poverty and that's the biggest thing for me. I was recently through in Glasgow speaking to some people from the Poverty Alliance and the thing that changed for me is is the real need to engage people who experience poverty. We can have as many academics and professionals talking about the subject but we need to hear from people about what could the city, and I do mean the city not just the council, what could the city do to change uh, the lives of people who experience poverty and, and, and that might be simple things like the uh, people getting to rent arrears, how we respond to that in the council. I would also call and part of that needs to be the wider private sector in the city needs to start playing their role and if that's about for example as they did in London getting people to buy into the living wage that was the biggest game changer in people's uh, getting out of poverty was was the change in the living wage. If we could get to a point where the city is a living wage city and if you want to have your business here, you'll pay the living wage, then that, that would be a great start for us. Because that, that, that's quite a statistic, isn't it? That lots of people in poverty are actually the working mm-hmm. poor, so um, a wage thing like that would, would go a long way. So we'll be for the Commission to decide what it is they concentrate on. We're not going to pretend it will change the world and end poverty, but if we can take steps to alleviate that a bit, if that's about looking at the uh, transport costs in the city, if it's about looking at childcare costs, which are quite different here than they are uh, down south. Um, and the living wage, I think, for us would be one of the biggest things that we need to champion for all the big businesses in the city who need to play their part. And where does that then leave you with your 53 pledges? Or we're how many of the council accomplished now, I should say? I think we're on track. We're on track. For most. Uh, for, for most, things are going well. When you look at even one of the last um, days of full council business before the last recess approved the plans for Meadowbank for example took that project a huge uh, step forward so across the whole programme I think we're making a lot of progress and when we get to year four and when we get to the next election I'd expect to see a lot of green ticks When's the next election now? Uh, well I'm <laughs> 
There's there's rumours about various things, but I'm hoping next I'm local government elections. next local government <laughs> elections. I mean, uh, but there's um, we're working on the basis of a five year term, and that's the the scale of our program will not be delivered. So that's 2022. 2020, 2022. 2022. Yeah. So you've still got a way to go to uh, keep on track with the with all your pledges. Yeah. Four years, I suppose, if we can achieve our pledges, there's always that scope to do more. Mm. Well, that would be um, only good for all the citizens in Edinburgh, wouldn't it? Um, Cami and Adam, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedules to talk to the Edinburgh Reporter. Thank you. Thank you.